Hey damned readers, it's your storyteller. I know, I know, I know, I know. I've been neglecting you. I don't mean to. I'm just trying to launch a new podcast called Signal 96. It is an emergency medicine and PTSD podcast. Uh, But it's funny. In a gallows humor dark sort of way. It's funny. But I'm back. And I'm going to give you a little attention and a little love now. And I hopefully will be giving you a little bit more now that I've kind of got this one under control and ready to record. So, my damned listeners, my lovelies, let's continue with A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. Chapter 15. The Call of Booty. Fuck puppets, Ray said out of nowhere. He was on the stair climbing machine next to Charlie, and they both were sweating and staring at a row of six perfectly tuned female asses aimed at them from the machines in front of them. What was that? Charlie said. Fuck puppets, Ray said. That's what they are. Ray had talked Charlie into coming to his help club with him under the pretense of getting him back into the flow of being single. Actually, because Ray was an ex-cop and watched people more closely than really was healthy, and he had too much time on his hands, and he didn't get out much himself, the real reason he asked Charlie to come to work with him is so that he would get to know him outside of the shop. He noticed a strange pattern that had developed since Rachel's death, of Charlie showing up with people's property shortly after their obituary appeared in the paper. Because Charlie kept to himself socially and was secretive about what he did when he was outside of the shop. Not to mention all the little animals that ended up dead in Charlie's apartment. Ray suspected he might be a serial killer. Ray decided to get a little close to his boss and find out for sure. Keep your voice down, Charlie said. Jeez, Ray. Since Ray couldn't turn his head, he was talking right out of the women's butts. They can't hear me. Look, every single one of them has on a headset. He was right. Every one of them was talking on a cell phone. And you and I are invisible to them. Having actually been invisible to people, or nearly so, Charlie had to take a double take. He was mid-morning, and the gym was full of lean, spandex-clad women in their twenties with large breasts, perfect skin, and expensive hair, who seemed to have the ability to look right through him the way everyone did when he was in pursuit of a soul vessel. In fact, when he and Ray had first come to the gym, Charlie actually looked around for some object, pulsing red, thinking he might have missed a name in the date book that morning. After I was shot, I dated a physical therapist who worked here for a while, she said. She's the one who called them that fuck puppets. Every one of them has an apartment, 
some older executive is paying for it, just like he paid for the health club membership and the fake tits. They spend their days getting facials and manicures and other nights under some suit out of his suit. Child, Charlie was wildly uncomfortable with Ray's litany, talking about these women who were only a couple feet away. Like any beta male, he would be wildly uncomfortable in the presence of so many beautiful women. But this made it worse. So they're like, trophy wives? Charlie said. Nah. Like, wannabe trophy wives. They don't get the guy, the house, whatever. They just exist to be his perfect piece of ass. Fuck puppets. Charlie said. Fuck puppets, said Ray. But forget them. They're not why we're here anyway. Ray was right, of course. They weren't they weren't why Charlie was here. Five years had passed since Rachel's death, and everyone had been telling him he needed to get back in the game. But that's not why he agreed to accompany the ex-cop to the gym. Because Charlie spent too much time on his own, especially since Sophie had started school, and because he had been hiding a secret identity and avocation, he started to suspect that everyone might have one. And since Ray, kept to himself, talked a lot about people in the neighborhood who had died, and because he really didn't seem to have a social life besides Filipino women he contacted online, Charlie suspected Ray might be a serial killer. Charlie thought he'd try and get closer to Ray and find out. So, they're like mistresses, Charlie said, like in Europe? I suppose, Ray said. But did you ever get the impression that Mistress said, but did you ever get the impression that mistresses worked this hard to look good? I think fuck puppet is more accurate. Because when they get too old to hold the attention of the guy, they've got nothing more going on. They'll be done, like marionettes with no one at the strings. Jeez, Ray, that's harsh. Maybe Ray is stalking one of these women, thought Charlie. Ray shrugged. Charlie looked up and down the line of perfect derrieres and then felt the weight of his years alone in the company of a child and two giant dogs and said, I want a fuck puppet. Ha! thought Ray. He's picking a victim. Me too, he said. Guys like us, we don't get fuck puppets, Charlie. We get ignored by them. Uh-huh, Charlie thought. The bitter sociopath comes out. So that's why you brought me here? To show me I was out of shape in front of gorgeous women who wouldn't notice? No, the fuck puppets are just fun to look at. But there are normal women who come here, too. 
who won't talk to me either, Ray thought. Who won't talk to you either, Charlie said, because they can tell you're a psycho killer. We'll see in the juice bar after our workout, Ray said, where I'll sit at an angle so I can watch you pick your victim. You sick fuck, he thought. Charlie woke to find not one, but three names in his date book. And the last one, a Madison McKierney, had only three days for him to retrieve her soul vessel. Charlie kept a stack of newspapers in the house and typically would go back for a month looking for an obituary of his new client. More often, if the hellhounds would give him some peace, he would simply wait for the name to appear in the obituary section. Then go find the soul vessel when it was easy to get in the house with mourners or posing as an estate buyer. But this time, he only had three days, and Madison McKerney hadn't appeared in the obituary, so it meant she was probably still alive. And he couldn't find her in the phone book either, so he was going to need to get things moving quickly. Miss Ling and Miss Corvette liked to do their marketing on Saturdays. So he called his sister Jane and asked her to come watch Sophie. I want a baby brother, Sophie announced to her Auntie Jane. Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry you can't have a baby brother, because that would mean Daddy would need to have sex, and that's never going to happen. Jane, do not talk to her that way, Charlie said. He was making sandwiches for them and wondered how he got stuck on making sandwiches. To Sophie, he said, Honey, why don't you go play in your room with Alvin and Muhammad? Daddy needs to talk to Aunt Jane. Okay, Sophie said, skipping off to her room. And don't change clothes again. Those are fine, Charlie said. That's the fourth outfit she's had on today, she said, he said to Jane. She changes clothes like you change girlfriends. Ouch! Be gentle, Chuck. I'm sensitive, and I still can kick your ass. Charlie spanked some mayonnaise onto a whole wheat slice to show he was serious. Jane, I'm not sure it's healthy for her to have all these different aunties around. She's already had a hard time losing her mother, and now that you've moved away, I don't think she should be getting attached to these women, only to have them yanked out of her life. She needs a constant female influence. First, I have not moved away. I have moved across town, and I see her every bit as often as when I lived in the building. Second, it's not like I'm promiscuous. I'm just shitty at relationships. Third, Cassie and I have been together for three months, and we're doing fine so far, which is why I moved out. And fourth, Sophie did not lose her mother. She never had a mother. She had you. And if you're going to be a decent human being, you need to get laid. That's what I mean. You can't talk to it like that in front of Sophie. Charlie, it's true. Even Sophie can see it. She doesn't even know what it is, and she can tell you're not getting any. Charlie stopped constructing sandwiches and came over the counter. It's not sex, Jane. It's human contact. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and the hairdresser 
breast rub up against my shoulder and I almost came. And then I almost cried. Sounds like sex to me, little brother. Have you had anyone since Rachel died? You know I haven't. That's wrong. Rachel would want you to. You know that. I mean, she took pity on you and hooked up with you. And that couldn't have been easy on her, knowing she could have done much better. Took pity on me? That's what I'm saying. She was a sweet woman, and you're, you're much more pitiful now than you were then. You had more hair then, and you didn't have a kid and two dogs the size of all those. Hell, there's probably some order of nuns that would do you now, just as a holy act of mercy or penance. Stop it, Jane. The Sisters of Perpetual Nucleus Suffering. I'm not that bad, Charlotte said. The Holy Order of St. Bonnie of the B.J., patron saint of web porn and incurable wankers. Okay, okay, Jane, I am sorry I said anything about you changing girlfriends. I was out of line. Jane leaned back on her bar stool and crossed her arms, satisfied but skeptical. The problem remains. I'm fine. I have Sophie. I have the business. I don't need a girlfriend. A girlfriend? A girlfriend is too ambitious for you. You just need someone to have sex with. I do not. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, I do, Charlie said, defeated. But I have to, but I have to go. Are you okay to watch Sophie? Sure. But I'm going to take her to my place. I have an obnoxious neighbor up the street that I would like to introduce to the puppies. Will they poop on command? If Sophie would tell them to. Perfect. I will see you tonight. Promise me you'll look out for someone. At least look for someone to ask out. I promise. Good. Did you get that new blue pinstripes tailored yet? Stay out of my closet. Don't you need to get going? Ray figured that it was probably started when Charlie murdered all of those little animals he brought home to his daughter. Maybe buying the big black dogs was a cry for help. Pets that someone would really notice being gone. According to the movies, they all started out that way, with little animals. Then... Before long, they've moved up to hitchhikers, hookers, and pretty soon they're mummifying a whole flock of counselors at some remote summer camp and posing, as, posing the crusty remains around a card table in their mountain lair. Mm, the mountain lair didn't quite fit the profile for Charlie since he had allergies, but it might as well be an indication of his diabolical genius. Ray had been a street cop, so it hadn't been necessary for him to study criminal profiling, and his theories towards the colorful. A side effect of his beta male imagination and a large DVD collection. But Charlie had asked Ray to use his contacts on the force and the DMV half a dozen times to locate people, all of whom ended up dead a few weeks later. But not murders. While a lot of items belonging to the recently deceased had turned up in the shop for the last few years, Ray had found an anti 
theft numbers etched on a dozen items and called them a friend on the force who identified the owners. None of them had been murdered either. There were a few accidents, but mostly natural causes. Either Ray was devious to extraordinary degree, or Ray was out of his mind and made a possibility that he didn't discount completely. If for no other reason, he had three ex-wives who could testify to it. Thus, he devised the workout ruse to draw Charlie out. Then again, Charlie had always treated him well. If he turned out he didn't have a mountain lair full of mummified camp counselors, Ray knew he'd feel bad about tricking him. What if there's nothing wrong with Charlie except he just needs to get laid? Ray was chatting with Eduardo, his new girlfriend on DesperateFilipino.com, when Charlie came down the back steps. Ray, I need you to find someone for me. Hang on a second, I need to sign off. Charlie, check out my new squeeze. Ray pulled out a photo of, on the screen of a heavily made-up but attractive Asian woman. She's pretty, Ray. But I can't give you any time off for the Philippines, though. Not right now, until we hire someone to take Lily's shifts. Charlie leaned into the screen. Dude, her name is Eduardo. I know, it's like a Filipino thing, like Edwina. She has a five o'clock shadow. You're just being racist. Some races have more facial hair than others. I don't care about that. I just want someone who is honest and caring and attractive. She has an Adam's apple. Ray squinted at the screen and then quickly clicked off the monitor and spun around on the stool. So, who do you need me to find? It's okay, Ray, Charlie said. An Adam's apple doesn't preclude someone from being honest and caring and attractive. It just makes it less likely. Right. And it was bad lighting, I think. Anyway, who do you need me to find? All I know is her name is Madison McKerney and that she lives in the city. That's it. It's a she. Pardon me? Madison. Stripper's name. Charlie looked, shook his head. You know this woman? I don't know her although the name seems familiar, but Madison is the new generation stripper name, like Reagan, Morgan. You lost me, Ray. I've spent some time at strip joints, Charlie. Not proud of it, but it's sort of what you do when you're a cop. And you pick up on patterns of stripper names. I didn't know that. Yeah. There's sort of progression going back to the 50s. Bubbles, Boom Boom, and Blaze begat Bambi, Candy, and Jewel, begat Sunshine, Brandy, and Cinnamon, who begat Amber, Brittany, and Bree, who begat Reagan, Morgan, and Madison. Madison is a stripper's name. Ray, you weren't even alive in the 50s. No, but I, was, I wasn't alive during the 40s either, but I know about World War II and big band music. I'm into history. Right, so I need to look for a stripper? Doesn't help. I don't even know where to start. 
I'll go through the DMV and tax records. She's in town. We'll have an address on her by this afternoon. Why do you need to find her? There was a pause while Charlie pretended to find a smudge on the glass of the counter display. He wiped it away and then said, Um, it's an estate thing. One of the estates we got recently had some items that were left to her. Shouldn't the executor of the estate take care of that? Or his lawyer? It's minutia, not named in the will. The executor asked me to handle it. It's 50 bucks in it for you. Ray grinned. That's okay. I was going to help anyway. But if she turns out to be a stripper, I get to go with you, okay? Deal, Charlie said. Three hours later, Ray gave the address to Charlie and watched as his boss bolt out of the shop and grab a cab. Why a cab? Why not take the van? Ray wanted to follow, needed to follow, but he had to find someone to cover the store. And he should have anticipated this, but he had been distracted. He had been, Ray had been distracted since talking to Charlie, not just by the search for Madison McCurney, but also because he was trying to figure out how to work. Do you have a penis? Casually into a conversation with his sweetheart, Eduardo. After a couple of teasing in emails, he couldn't stand it any longer and just typed out, Eduardo, not that it makes any difference, but I'm sending you some sexy lingerie as a f friendship present, and I was wondering if I should make any commendations for the panties. Then he waited. And waited. And granted, it was uh, five in the morning in Manila. He, had, he was second-guessing himself. He was too vague. Or had he not been vague enough? And now he had to go. He, had to, he knew where Charlie was going. But he had to get there before anything happened. He dialed Lily's cell phone, hoping that she wouldn't be working at her other's job and would do him a favor. Speak, Ingrid, Lily answered. How did you know it was me? Ray asked. Ray? Yeah. How did you know it was me? I didn't, Lily said. What do you want? Can you come cover the store for me for a couple hours? Then, as he heard her take a deep breath, he was pretty sure. Charlie sincerely hoped that Ray wasn't a serial killer despite all the indications to the contrary. He would never have found this woman without Ray's police contacts and didn't know what he would do in the future if he needed to find someone and Ray was in jail. Then again, Ray's experience as a cop could account for his never leaving any evidence. But why then would he consider to
continued to pursue the Filipino women over the internet if he was just looking to kill people. Maybe that's what, what he did when he was in the Philippines visiting his paramours. Maybe he killed desperate Filipinas. Maybe Ray was a tourist serial killer. Deal with it later, Charlie thought. For now, there's a soul vessel to retrieve. Charlie got out of the cab outside of the Fontana, an apartment building just a block up from Ghirardali Square. The waterfront chocolate factory turned tourist mall, the Fontana was a great curved concrete and glass building that commanded views of Alcatraz and the Golden Gate Bridge. And that had drawn the disdain of San Franciscans since it had been built in the 1960s. It wasn't that it was ugly, although one could argue that it wasn't, but the Victorian and Edwardian structures all around it, it looked very much like a giant air conditioner from outer space attacking the 19th century neighborhood. However, the views from the apartment were exquisite, and there was a doorman, underground parking, and a pool on the roof if you could handle the stigma of residing in such an architectural pariah. It was a great place to live. The address Ray had given for him for Madsen was on the 22nd floor, and so, presumably, was her soul vessel. Charlie wasn't sure of the exact range of his unnoticeability. He refused to think of it as invisibility, because it wasn't. But he hoped that it reached 22 floors. He was going to get ha he was going to have to get past the doorman and into the elevator and posing as an estate buyer wasn't going to work. Ah, oh, well, nothing ventured, nothing gained. If he got caught, he'd just have to find another way in. He waited by the door until a young woman in a business attire went in. Then he followed her in into the lobby. The doorman didn't even look at him. Ray saw Charlie get out of the cab and told his own driver to stop a block away, where he hopped out, threw the driver five, and told him he could keep the change, then dug in the pocket for the rest of the fare while the driver pounded on the wheel impatiently and cursed under his breath in Udu. Sorry, it's been a while since I've taken a cab, Ray said. Ray had a car, a nice little Toyota, but the only parking place he could find was eight blocks away from his apartment and the parking lot of a hotel managed by a friend of his. parking place he could find was eight blocks away from his apartment in the parking lot of a hotel managed by a friend of his. And when you get a parking place in San Francisco, you kept it. So Ray mostly used public transportation and only drove the car on his days off to keep the battery charged. He jumped out of the taxi outside Charlie's shop and shouted, follow the cab! Thus, completely terrifying, the Japanese family in the back. Sorry, Ray said, 
Konnichiwa. It's been a while since I took a cab. He jumped in the back and caught a cab that didn't have a fare. He sneaked quickly up the street, going from light post to newspaper machine to ad kiosk, ducking behind each, staying in his stealth crouch and achieving nothing whatsoever except to look like a complete loon to the kid standing in the bus stop across the street. He reached the underground parking entrance of the Fontana just as Charlie was making it to the door. Ray crouched behind the keycard pillar. He wasn't sure what he was going to do if Charlie went for the building. Unfortunately, he had memorized Madison Kearney's phone number and he could warn her that Charlie was coming. In the cab on the way down, he remembered where he had seen her name on the register at her health club. Madison Kearney was one of the mid-morning fuck puppets from the gym, and Ray suspected Charlie was stalking her. He watched Charlie fall behind a young woman in a business suit who was heading up the walk into the Fontana. Then Charlie was gone. Just gone. Ray came out into the sidewalk to get a better angle. The woman was still there. She'd only gone a couple of steps, but he couldn't see Charlie. There were no bushes or walls. The whole damn lobby was glass. Where the hell had he gone? Ray was sure he hadn't looked away. He didn't even look. He he didn't even blink. And he would have seen any sudden move Charlie'd made. Reverting to the beta male's tendency to blame himself, Ray wondered if maybe he had some sort of petite mal seizure that made him black out for a second. Whether or not he did, he had to warn Madison McCurney. He reached to his belt, felt his empty cell phone clip, and then remembered putting his cell phone under the register when he had gotten to work that morning. Charlie found the right apartment and rang the bell. If he could get Madison McCurney to come out to the hallway, he could slip in behind her and just look through her apartment for her soul vessel. Just down the hall, there was a table, some artificial flower arrangements. He tipped it over, hoping she was compulsive or curious enough to come out of her apartment to have a closer look. If she wasn't home, well, he'd just have to break in. Odds were, with a doorman downstairs, she didn't have an alarm system. But what if, uh, what if you could see him? Sometimes they could, the clients. Not often, but it happened. And she opened the door. Charlie was stunned. She was stunning. Charlie stopped breathless, breathless. Charlie was stunned. She was stunning. Charlie stopped breathing and stared at her breasts. It wasn't that she was a perfect and gorgeous brunette with perfect hair and perfect skin, nor was was it that she was wearing a thin white silk robe that barely concealed her swimsuit model figure, nor was it because she was disproportionately large but alert breasts that were straining against the robe and peeking up plunging neckline as she leaned out 
out the door. Although that would have been enough to render the beta Hawaiian hula girl lamp. Madison Kearney's soul was residing in her breast implants. I've got to get my hands on those, Charlie said, forgetting he was not actually alone. And he wasn't exactly thinking to himself. And that's when Madison McKerney noticed Charlie. Then Madison McKerney noticed that Charlie was there and started screaming. Alright, damned readers, I'm going to get to you again this week. I hope you haven't forgotten about me. So, I will let you know on the Twitter machine when the next episode will be coming out. And we're going to figure out how Charlie is going to get the soul vessels out of Madison McCurdy. It's going to be interesting. Alright, I will read to you soon. <laughs>